Welcome to this episode of Lucid Living with Brie, Learn to Live and Love Awake. I am your host, Brie Walta, and I'm so excited to bring you Jason Polk, who is a couples counselor and a coach. And we are going to be talking about kind of the other side of not leaving a relationship, but seeing what you can do if you're starting to have problems in the relationship. So Jason, welcome. I'm so excited you're here. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Yes, I know we have done podcasts before. Your podcast, um, remind me, remind me the episode that we we did together. Yeah, episode number eighteen is entitled "A Toxic Relationship Coach Speaks," awesome. and there I interview you. And the yes. podcast is "Healthy Relationship Secrets for Parents." Okay, and that what's your episode that you're on now? Because that was a while ago that we did that. Yeah, that was. Um, you know, I want to say I release episodes every week, but I don't. So I'm on episode number 51. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, so early on in the, the origination of your, your podcast. Yes. yes. Yeah. Well, it's good to be back again in a different, different context, but similar, similar themes around relationships. Um, I like to start by giving the listeners an idea of sort of where, why you do what you do, like what led you to become a couple's counselor and coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another way to say it is, how can you be so sick and twisted that you want to be a couple's counselor? <laughs> just I, just, I admire you because <laughs> I couldn't, I don't think I could hold space for the couple. Like I love working with the woman, but the couple to me is like, that's got to take so much, just so much. So thank you for the work that you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no problem. Well, you know, just speaking on that real quick, you know, I do have a cap is about three to four. If I meet with more than three or four couples a day, um, I'm just done. Um, So I, there is some truth from my perspective on what you said. So, but yeah, I became a a relationship coach because I've been through a painful divorce. Mm -hmm. And during that time, my ex-wife and I, we went to some pretty crappy couples therapy um, and we went to some good couples therapy Um, but by the time we got to the good couples therapy me personally I was already checked out Um, so it was kind of you know too little too late I mean this person could have been you know John Gottman right but I was done and so after that I actually reached out to him Um, and I said, Hey, you know, how did you become a couples therapist? Where did you get trained? And he told me, and then I looked on the calendar, there was going to be a training for that modality in like a month. And so I signed up and, you know, it was kind of all downhill from there. And a lot of the reason for it was personal exploration, Mm. you know, because in a way, I wanted to know how to have a good relationship and kind of like what that means. And so that that's been my, my journey. Yeah. Yeah. So while you were in the, the energy of the relationship that you were trying to, to fix or make work, it sounds like it wasn't really the right time for you to, or you weren't able maybe in that energy to, to dive into your work and this exploration was it so that it was post post the divorce that you decided to go into couples counseling. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I want to just highlight for all the women 
who don't believe there are men who are self-aware and self-introspective. <laughs> like, hello, this is an example of somebody who maybe at one point in your life, this was a harder, um, harder area for you to navigate or explore, but you did have that shift where you were like, oh, I really want to, I want to understand myself better. I want to understand how I'm showing up in relationships better. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And part of it too, I think pain is a big motivator. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Um, you know, why I'm going to do all this hard work, you know, this is cliche if I wasn't sick and tired of being sick and tired. Right. 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 Yes. Yes. I think, you know, I love having women on this podcast and sharing their journeys and their stories, but I think it's so powerful for women to hear from men who are also in that same, like have that same value of self-growth and self-awareness. Um, and yeah, often it is the pain that, that is the driver to take us out of what's familiar and what's comfortable. Right. Because mm -hmm. otherwise we're like, why would we leave this is working good enough. <laughs> yeah, totally. This is working out for me. Yeah. 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 But you know, it, let me share and I'm opening up a, a can of worms. Mm -hmm. So feel free to cut me off. Um, <laughs> but you know, in terms of men, you know, I've, I've thought about this a lot and some of this comes from my mentor, Terry real, mm -hmm. um, sorry, name dropping. And, um, right. You know, he talks about, in a way, we're living in, you know, patri patriarchal society, but he defines it, he says the psychological patriarchy, but in a way, kind of like male, typical male traits, such as like, you know, strong stoicism, anti-dependent, logical, mm -hmm. his theory is that our culture values those things more. And he takes it as far as has contempt, I know that's a strong word, for more feminine traits, such as vulnerability, relationality, um, you know, dependence, if you call that a feminine trait. Mm -hmm. And um, that has, you know, really affected my thinking. And it's the kind of incubator that us males are raised in. So in a way, it makes sense, right? This is kind of what we learned. Yeah. Um, you know, we learn to be tough, strong, you know, invulnerable. Um, so I just wanted to, to, to share that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, it's important to name those things, right? Just like men are incubated in this. I love that word, by the way, in this, yeah. um, this expectation to be strong and not have feelings and, you know, be the provider and stuff it all down and just, you know, keep driving and make the money and whatever, all the other messages that you guys are given, just like you're giving those women are incubating over here in the, like, my needs don't matter. I shouldn't mm. be able to, to speak up. Um, I should be seen, not heard. I have to put everyone else first. Right. And the more that we can understand that we're, we're both men and women, we're both fighting against everything we've been taught and everything we've been shown it's like, that's hard fucking work. <laughs> yeah. And I think it gives some compassion for the other sex mm. in their experience as they're trying to like learn how to walk. You know, we're all wobbling on our, our little deer legs as we're trying to figure <laughs> out like, what we're doing. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And he would say the end goal to that is, is what you're saying, being aware of that, but also on the, the male side, 
it's there's nothing wrong with being strong, you know, and invulnerable, self-reliant. And we can be big-hearted, compassionate, and vulnerable, right? It's not an either or, you know, but it's almost like the culture makes it an either or. And he even says too, something interesting, you know, a male's like a young boy's identity is a negative identity means you're not a girl, right? Mm. There's nothing like positive about it, right? And (laughs) this reading that stuff is like, damn, wow. You know, so in a way, and males are kind of like hardwired for that. So it makes sense. And what you were saying, a little bit of compassion, right? Um, then also, you know, for the female to be, you know, like emotional, right? And these are air quotations, right? There's not yeah. trying to be, but yeah. there's no judgment for that, right? There's nothing wrong with that, you know, be emotional and be assertive, you know, intelligent, strong, right? All that stuff. You know, we don't have to, he calls it, we split off like a part of us. Yeah. And he says, no, let's not do that. Let's just live in our full humanness. Yeah. This, the balance of the masculine and the feminine energy, because if both partners are balanced within themselves, like I have a healthy amount of feminine energy and masculine energy, I can be emotional, but I can also be logical and be driven, right? I can Mm -hmm. hold space. I can rest, but I can also go and do and same with my partner, then we can, we can balance each other as we're moving through this ever evolving and shifting energy, right? When I need to be more men, uh, feminine, then my partner can step in and be a little more masculine and vice versa. But in, and I'll share in my personal experience, I was very masculine energy and still, still tend towards the masculine energy as part of my you know, part of my wounding, part of my defenses has been to just kind of cut off the feminine and go and do and be in control. And, you know, it's all maladaptive, but mm-hmm. part of my journey has been finding that balance too. And I, I used to attract men who would allow me to be more in that masculine role, mm-hmm. but it was domineering and it was not a balanced, it was not a balanced energy. So the relationship that I'm in now, it feels like we both individually have much more awareness around that it's okay to be both of those things mm. and we really celebrate that in each other and celebrate celebrate the ebb and flow of that when you see couples that come to you is there typically is there talk about this and like the 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 roles that we play and how how that's affecting what's going on in their relationship yeah you know it depends on where the couple is at you know, sometimes I will skip to what you need to be doing, right? Like if it's a typically, oh gosh, um, you know, let's just say like a business type person, right? And, you know, their politics, they may have like an aversion to therapy and it's a miracle they're there in the first place. But I think the end result, you know, it would be for the male who's maybe in there, you know, who have a tendency to be judgmental, a tendency to be critical of their partner because logic is what comes first, right? That's the most important thing. Um, and simply the the other stance to that, and this is what I, I work with males a lot, is the idea of compassionate curiosity, right? Your partner is speaking. 
you know, instead of saying, oh my God, do I have to hear this right now? Or, oh my gosh, you are so irrational, right? To pause and be curious about where your partner is coming from. And for a lot of males, and I know I'm kind of being, you know, male, female, that would solve a lot of their problems, right? And <laughs> I want to, I want to say something that could be controversial, and you can tell me, Jason, you're being an a-hole, um, sexist. <laughs> but I got this with Terry Real, but he says, and and I know this is going to sound not so good, but he says, and I sometimes say this to a male partner, hey, this is what I learned, and angry female is an unheard female, right? But I don't say that to, because I know that there's a lot of, you know, icky stuff associated with that. Um, yeah. But for a certain person, it's like, if you just hear your partner out, and this goes kind of obviously for both people, um, that can cause a lot of problems, you know, with the idea, if you want to be understood, right? If you want your partner to know all the stuff you're doing, you know, how you're providing, how you're working your tail off for the family. Mm -hmm. um, if you want her to appreciate that, if you can slow down and give understanding to her as well, you know, and then you're going to get something right. And then you two can quote unquote, see each other. Yeah. And vice versa. Yeah. I yeah. The more that we, we think we're living in our own little silos, right. Mm. And we're not, we're not curious about the other person's experience or we're not curious about how what I'm doing is affecting the other. It's like, that is what a partnership is. It's the, we want to be individual people, but everything we do affects the other person in some way when you're sharing a life together. So if you're not curious about your partner's emotions or stance or whatever is coming up for them, that to me is a sign of disrespect for the person. If you say you love this person and if you are in some sort of committed relationship with them, that curiosity to me is like, this is how you show, this is where your actions meet your words. You can say you love me, but do you actually care about my experience? Mm -hmm. So I think that's a powerful skill for, for both people to learn is like, my understanding of this is might be different than your understanding of this. And let's talk about that openly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and 100%. And if your partner is upset and they're telling you about it, obviously, if they're from a centered place telling you about this, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you, right? Or it's not this big sort of like indictment on you as a provider, right? Yeah. You know, I often coach males. It's, you know, if your partner's giving you feedback, that's a good thing. They want to be happy, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. in a way, if you can make space for that, um, it's, it's really important. And, you know, I mean, I know it sounds simple, but sometimes in my experience, you know, that could be a tall order. Yeah. Oh, yes. It takes, <laughs> first of all, it takes incredible self-awareness yeah. to even be yeah. able to come into a neutral place to be able to, to share your truth. Mm -hmm. And then it yeah. takes incredible capacity and that removal, like you said, of, of, it's not about you, like listening to the other person just to hear what, where the other person is coming from without immediately feeling attacked or like you did something wrong or getting defensive. That takes a lot of emotional maturity. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say practice. Cause I had to practice this too. You know, yeah. when my wife says, Hey, Jason, there's something I want to talk about. 
there's a part of me is like, oh crap, what did I do? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but to take a deep breath and I practice this, she's telling me this because she wants to be happy. Mm-hmm. She wants to be happy. She wants to stay in this relationship. Mm-hmm. And so that's something we both had to work on the defensiveness. Um, we <laughs> were doing something cheesy for a while where uh, other person would give each other feedback. We say, thank you for your feedback. Right. Yeah. yeah. It was like cheesy, but in a way it was kind of for us individually to hear it. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of me going into a shame spiral yeah. that, you know, I forgot the lunch for our daughter. All right. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for the feedback. Yeah. I yep. totally forgot about that. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And being able to hear that and take accountability where appropriate mm-hmm. is important. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious because I, I'm sure, and I'm making a, I'm making an assumption that a lot of women are the drivers to get the couple into couples counseling. Is that true in your experience? Yeah. Um, probably you know, if I were to say eight out of 10 times, yeah, um, maybe that is usually the driver and kind of in a way for my website, you know, I'm generally speaking towards the female partner. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, I mean, every now and then like, you know, the, the, the male will initiate it, but um, yeah, a hundred percent. You're right. And I hope you can give the listeners some tips because I had this experience as well when I was trying to initiate couples therapy. Granted, I was working with the partner at the time and I can see now was a lot more manipulative than I understood in the moment. Mm. So do you have any tips for women who are like, clearly can identify that something is not working in the relationship and they're in this place of like, I really want to do what I can or see, see if we can shift in couples therapy, see if we can get some help. But when they bring that to their partner, their partner immediately is like, therapy is stupid. We don't have problems or whatever their excuse is. They're just coming up against some sort of resistance. What would you, how would you help women sort of get, get to couples therapy? Yeah. Well, I would say it depends on the level that the female partner is at in terms of staying in the relationship. Mm. Um, I know that's that's kind of a big one. For example, you know, say the female partner is ambivalent. Like, I don't know if I want to move forward in this relationship and that is communicated, you know, and it's kind of like, and I know this doesn't apply to everyone, but it's like, hey, I don't even know if we if I can stay in this. I might have to leave you. And I know this is not every circumstance, but sometimes when that's communicated to the male partner, it's that, oh shit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, now I got to do something. Yeah. And so we, we need my take. We need a little bit of that, of that oh shit for the reluctant partner. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's hard to manufacture, you know, for the female partner in a way it's kind of asking, you know, a lot, especially if that's not how you're wired, you know what yeah. I'm saying? And of course I don't want to say like, you know, I'm just going to yell at you every day until we go to couples therapy. Not that. Right? Yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, for example, when a couple is ambivalent and let's say the female partner, it's like, I don't even know if I can stay here. And she's real in that. You know, I like to do a time frame of, okay, you know, let's give this a few months to see if it's going in the right direction. 
you know, what do you need? Because the female partner who is ambivalent, in a way, I know this sounds a little weird, it has the leverage, yeah. right? You know, this is what I need to see um, from you. Now, that doesn't really answer the question of, oh, I, why do I have to go to couples therapy on the male side? You know, the couples therapy is dumb, right? Mm -hmm. It's a bunch of hit like hippies, you know, talking about hippie stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so, you know, with that, if you don't have much leverage and, and feel free to disagree on this or you have, you know, pushback, you know, in essence, there's not much you can do because if someone is, you know, in what we call grandiosity or one up, what's the motivation to change that, right? Yeah. This is a nice sort of setup, right? Why am I going to have some other person, dude, female, tell me what I need to do? right? This is cool. Yeah. There's no consequences, right? I know that's kind of a grim way to look at things. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you have thoughts about that. Yeah. I think, I think it comes to setting the boundary mm. for me anyway. It's like, it's not, it's not forcing the other person to go to, to therapy, but like you said, coming to the conversation in a very real way, that's like how this is operating right now is not working for me. Mm. I, if, if we don't go to couples therapy, I'm not able to stay in this relationship because I can't stay continuing to do these things. So it's like the other person, the male in this case has the choice of, okay, do we go to couples therapy or not? But if he chooses not, then she, then he knows her choice. Mm -hmm. And so I think women sometimes, well, boundaries in general are, are hard for a lot of people, but women, especially in advocating, and feeling like they're not being manipulative or being mean or being a bitch by saying, Hey, I need couples therapy. And if, if we can't figure something out different for this relationship, I can't be in this relationship. That's not mean. That's just true. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's it. You know, the way you sound, the way you said, said it, I mean, sounds better than the way I said it, but a hundred percent. You know, there's a, I was reading one of Terry Reel's books, you know, he talked about coaching a female partner to get the male partner in therapy. And he shared this story and he coached a female partner to say to the male partner, it was something like, when he gets in, hey dear, how are you doing? Um, just so you know, every day that goes by that we don't go to couples therapy, I am going to be unhappy. Ooh. Now let's have some dinner. <laughs> <laughs> just drop that bomb and keep going yeah yeah totally so you know of course easier said than done but this the spirit behind it right it doesn't have to be you know elaborate but also time goes on and things don't change right that's some good information right yes um because maybe you set the boundary and nothing happens so oh i remember and this is the theme of of our interview you said you know, in the beginning, when you first work with people, you're gaining information, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so that is more information if they don't follow that boundary, um, yeah. something to, I guess, contemplate. Oh, yeah. I I explain boundaries with my clients as a win-win situation. Mm -hmm. Either the person respects your boundary and gives you, you know, gives you what you want, more or less, or gives you what you need, or they show you that they're either 
incapable of seeing that it's a boundary and they meet you with anger or guilt or shame or they ignore you. And then it's Mm. like, well, do you really care about me as a person if you don't care about my needs? So either any way you cut it, it's information, it's data, Mm -hmm. right? We're gathering data about the type of relationship you're in, the person that you're with. Are you compatible? Do you share these same values? Can they meet your needs? You know, a lot of times when we're in relationships, our, our heart is leading and a lot of that hope of, well, we were, we said we were going to be together forever. And I, we were going to buy the house and have the farm and have the kids or whatever the dream was when in all reality, everything's pointing to like your values don't align. There's manipulation, you know, in that case of a more extreme toxic relationship. When, when somebody, when they do finally get to couples counseling, the, I don't know how to word this, like the you want to find a couples therapist or a couples coach who can help you not feel like the one who is driving the whole decision, mm-hmm. right? Who can, who can really create an equal, an equal playing field where the woman is not stepping into like the siding with the therapist role or the, or vice versa, or the male's not stepping into to that, like triangulation almost. How do you, how do you recommend people find a good coach like what should they look for in their in their search yeah i think the main thing is experience mm. because as you mentioned that couples therapy is you know can be challenging yeah. you know someone who has experience that can be kind of like i don't want to say calm in the storm so to speak um i would you know because for example my ex-wife and i you know, we were referred to a therapist and it was kind of clear that person didn't have a lot of experience. Mm. Um, and so it, it kind of made things like worse, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so it was almost like, I remember this, uh, my ex-wife, she was really upset and I was looking at the therapist and she was looking at me. I was looking at the therapist like, okay, um, what are we going to do? And she had to look on her, her face like, I don't know what to do. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I was like, I was like, all right. Um, so, yeah, I think it comes down to experience. And me personally, I'm biased. The This is the third time I mentioned his name. In the modality created by Terry Real, relational mm-hmm. life therapy. And that really incorporates the idea of partners who maybe like one up what's typically called called narcissism narcissism yeah to find that motivation right whether that could be negative motivation it could be positive you know if there's kids um that can be a positive motivating factor for someone to do the work because basically what we want in couples therapy we want something different right ideally we want the couple operating like a team like equals, collaboration, um, a space where harmony, passion can flourish. And we need to have a reason for doing something different, right? The motivation. And sometimes we don't. Relational life therapy is a modality of therapy that can work with that motivation. But also if there's none there, 
you know, there's a point where the couples therapy therapist can't do much, right? Yeah. So like if I have a partner who's not open to it, who is yeah. like, this is lame. I'm not even interested in, in hearing you out. All right, well, what are you doing here? Yeah, I think the the piece that you mentioned about narcissism is is interesting. And I like to dive in a little bit around that because that is a very specific type of person, right? Who's either narcissistic or a narciss- narcissist. And I have an episode on the whole psychology of a narcissist uh, um, that listeners can go back and listen to if you don't know what we're talking about. But um, I'm curious, your what is your definition of narcissism? Yeah, well, full disclosure, I have not listened to that episode, That's okay. but I'm going to yeah. put it in my queue for sure. Yeah. And this is my simple and definition of it. And this is becoming because, you know, I sometimes hear on phone calls, you know, I think they're a narcissist, right? Yeah. And it's like, okay, yeah, sure. You know, but I I hear that a lot. But I simply look at it as a self-esteem issue. Mm -hmm. And then let me explain. (laughs) Um, I got this from Pia Melody. And she talks about, you know, self-esteem, the way we hold ourselves. We can be one up. And that's better than, we call it grandiosity. Mm-hmm. Or the other end is one down, toxic shame. And both forms are unhealthy self-esteem. The health is in the middle. It's same as. And the way I look at narcissism is if we're spending too much time in the one-up, mm-hmm. in grandiosity. And essentially, the energy there is contempt. It's you're an idiot. Yep. Right? And the opposite extreme one down so listeners know the content is going inward. It's I'm an idiot. Yeah. And so going back to narcissism, we're spending too much time in the one up. That's my simple definition, right? There's yeah. are probably holes in it and you, you can pick them apart there. No. But when I see that, when I see someone narcissism, they're too much in the judgment. It's, oh my gosh, generally, you know, I'm speaking from the male partner, you are so emotional. You are so irrational. Gosh, you know, in a way that's dismissive, right? And yeah. too much of that, it's, yeah, of course they're narcissists. They don't even care about where I'm coming from, right? Which is convenient, right? Because yeah. because narcissists inherently cannot have the mirror turned on themselves. Yeah. They cannot be shown their defects or their, their faults or or have any sort of um, risk of losing your validation of them. They have to stay, they have to stay in control in the power place because they feed off of being in control of you and getting your validation that they are in control of you. So it's convenient for them to say, you're too emotional. You're making all of the problems. You're crazy. If you could just stop worrying about all the stuff, we would be happy. Right. And the gaslighting has just enough truth to it where it starts to get inside the the woman's head most of the time. And she's like, fuck, am I being too emotional? Is this my problem? Do I need to fix this within me? This is not a couple problem. And it it is so insidious. And as someone who has been gaslit like for years, you you lose your entire sense of self. So usually the narcissist is is has the one up, right? And mm-hmm. he attracts the woman in this case mm-hmm. who has the one down, 
who's already a little bit like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not enough. I'm, I'm, I'm too emotional. She already understands that a little bit, right? She already has a hard time expressing her needs or having boundaries. The narcissist then continues to chip away at those vulnerabilities that he knows in her. And she gets farther, farther apart from herself. She loses more of her confidence, more of her sense of self. And that's why it's so hard when you're in those types of relationships to, if you're being fed that information, you're like, is that true? Like, should I not mm. want couples therapy because I should just be an individual therapy because everything's wrong with me and I'm the mm. toxic one. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. Uh, you nailed it. I heard this in a training I was in on personality disorders. And I remember the instructor said, how do you know if one partner is a narcissist the other partner is really depressed <laughs> right but it's kind of what you were talking about oh everything is my fault yeah right i am flawed there's something wrong with me yeah not just a depression either i would i would argue like i guess hopelessness is in depression but it's it's like you become a shell of yourself mm. it's like they have sucked away all of your life all of your life force all of your anything that used to make you you they just like mm. slowly take that from you and so you turn into this inward isolated hopeless i don't know who i am anymore nothing feels good nothing brings me joy anymore i feel like everything's my fault it's like it's such a hard way to live and it happens slowly you know mixed with our hope that he's going to change or the relationship will change because there's also not like there's gaslighting. Yes. But then there are moments that suck us back in when he uses the right word choice, when he says he's trying to be introspective and we're like, Oh, he understands introspective. Maybe it's going to work this time. <laughs> so like, there are so many reasons that we stay in those types of relationships and it can be <laughs> so confusing, <laughs> which is why I call myself a relationship clarity coach because mm. clarity to me is like gold. If I can be clear on who I am and what my needs are and what's important to me. And I'm clear on how that's, how that's interacting in the relationship. Then I can see what type of experience I'm in, but otherwise it's like the fog. They talk about narcissism being like you're stuck in a fog and that's totally what it feels like. Mm. Yeah. I'm just curious, Brie. This is, you know, things I've been thinking about. How do you, and this is a, a super big question that's not easily answerable. Yeah. Um, you know, get that the other person to kind of like, you know, develop that sense of self, right? You mentioned clarity, you know, yeah. but even understand their values again, you yeah. know. Um, yeah. I know that's a big question, but I mean, if you don't mind, I would love to hear about it. <laughs> yeah. So in my coaching program, there's a module that we work through helping them identify their values and their wants and their needs. And it was so impactful. It is so impactful to my clients that I made a whole separate self-guided course mm. that people can, can use. It's called find yourself again. Um, I'll link to it in the, in the show notes and it guides you through how to even start to answer these questions. Because I know for me, when someone asked me, what, what do I value? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> I just, whatever they need, I do, or whatever they like to do, I do. And I just, I was a very good chameleon. I would just chameleon into the other person. 
So the exercise for me was so hard when I did it in my journey that I put a lot of importance on it with my clients. And we talk in depth about like what's important to you. What, if you could design your life in any sort of way, what, what would you spend the most of your time doing and helping them see? Cause in, in my understanding of values, it's like values are the most important piece of who we are. If I value, if I value growth, let's say, I'm going to spend my money on therapy. I'm going to spend my money on retreats. I'm going to surround myself with people who are like-minded and like to have these deep conversations. And I'm if I'm with somebody who doesn't value growth, they're not spending their money on those things. They don't understand the importance of that. It's not important to them. So when we are with somebody who has conflicting values, it can feel like we're swimming upstream. Like we're, you know, we're already, if you're going downstream with someone, you're already going to run into rapids and rocks and things, right. And have to navigate. But if you're trying to swim upstream and you're hitting all of those challenges, it's going to feel a lot harder. So helping them identify, this is what's important to me. That doesn't make me better or worse than anyone else. It just is, it just is true. Helps give them an identifier of themselves so that when they're in a relationship, they can start to see like, oh, I want to spend my time doing this. My partner never wants to do this because it's not important to him in the same way. So then we can start to piece out, like, if they are still in the relationship, is this working? Are you even compatible? Or did you come together because, you know, it was uh, very, you were attracted to each other. There was hot sex. It was like a fun couple of months. You were traveling a lot. And then you just decided to stay together because you somehow chose this person without really like choosing the person. And if they aren't in the relationship anymore, it's like, how do we get you so clear on who you are and what's important to you that when you start to meet people, you can, you can see pretty, pretty soon into the, the interaction with that person, if it's going to work. So that was a long winded answer to your question of like literally going through the, the exercise of what are your values? What are your needs and what are your wants? And in what order are you putting importance around those things? Because values are the most important is how I look at it. I talk about a filter system. So if someone can, can make it through like, yes, we share similar values. We can align on values. Then can they meet my needs? Can I meet their needs? And then do they have the wants? Cause a lot of times we're choosing in reverse. We're like, I want the guy who has the nice job and can take me to Tahiti and you know, whatever it's like, but we have nothing else in common. That's why everything conversations feel hard. Um, a life alignment feels hard. You know, maybe you get five years down the line and thought they wanted kids and they don't. Mm -hmm. So it, it helps you be able to open space for these conversations and not feel like something's wrong with you because you value one thing and they value something different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, I may have to sign up for that course yeah. because, you know, that happens a lot, you know, with, with some of my clients, it's understanding values, the sense of self, because from there, then we know what to set a boundary around, right? Totally. You know, so we have some clarity what you're talking about. Yep. Um, yep. And also this is, you know, I, I think I mentioned this in that the episode we did, but it's, you know, setting boundaries, understanding your sense of self, they 
they kind of um what's the right word they intermingle there's a better word for that for yeah. example you know i said boundaries i know how that feels okay i'm i'm gaining my sense of self right i'm learning you know about myself um yeah. And just as you understand your values, you know what to set boundaries around. So, you know, I think that the work is is so cool. Yeah, it's you can't set a boundary on something we don't know we're protecting. Yeah, yeah. Right. So before in in the program, the coaching program that I have, before we even get to what boundaries are and how to set those, it's like we got to figure out who you are and what's mm. important to you, so that you can identify where you have to set a boundary. So. I'll use an example for people. You're like, what, what is a boundary and what, what are you talking about? If you can identify for yourself, um, that monogamy is really important to you. For example, you're like, this is a need of mine. I need to have a partner who's only with me. They're not dating other people. They're not, if we are in a committed relationship, they're not cheating on me. They're not sleeping with people, whatever. And that's, it's a clear need of yours. That way, when you start dating someone and they're like, I want this to be an open situation. I'm not ready to, to be monogamous or you're in a relationship where you find betrayal or cheating in some way. You can be like, no, I don't, I don't do this. This isn't something that I can think is okay. Or something that I can put up with. This is something that isn't, is a non-negotiable for me. If you continue to do that thing, then I'm no longer in this relationship. Mm-hmm. But if you don't know yeah. that about yourself, you can get a lot in your head of like, oh, well, he's sorry and maybe he'll change and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and depending on, there's so many variables in, if you decide to stay in something after your non-negotiable has been broken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to put a blanket statement ever of like, he cheated and he must leave. It's so much more in the gray than that. Um, but for you to know what's important for you to stand behind that is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're working with a couple, how, how do you help them see when maybe it's time to, to call it if it comes to that? Yeah. I mean, here is the easy answer. Um, I'll ask them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, for example, like, you know, do you want to do this? If there's a pause, right? You know, because well, because as a couple of therapists, I asked, hey, do you want to stay together? I'm asking the individual partner. If they say yes right away, okay, you know, that's the answer. Yeah. But if it's like, hey, do you want to stay together? Okay, I'm gonna take that as a no. Generally, it will follow a no. Um, so I'll ask them. Um, you know, I really don't make that judgment. You know, my thing is, if you two, you know, want to work together, great. I like to look at it. I'll guide you towards clarity. Yeah. And I'll maybe announce the the deal breaker, or I'll even say, hey, you know, partner A, it looks like your partner is done. Yeah. You know, um, and generally they have a good sense of that anyway. It's not like, oh my gosh, this is like brand new news. <laughs> but it can be you know? so validating to hear from yeah. a third party. Mm. Yeah. 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 And so yeah, just doing providing the clarity. And you know, if it's kind of like a breakup session, I'll say, Well, do you two want to get logistical? Um, do you two want to get emotional? Sometimes I'll share, depends on where they're at. Um, mm-hmm. you know, what do you regret? 
what do you miss, right? Yeah. This opportunity to express that. But sometimes couples are not, you know, really ready to go there. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know if I answered your question or not, but uh <laughs> you ask. I think that's like <laughs> okay. that's the duh, the duh question or the duh answer where it's like you help them have that conversation. It's not you necessarily being like you should break up, although you might share with one partner, like, I think he's really checked out or I think she's really checked out. Um, I'll share in my personal experience with this. The first time I went to couples therapy with my ex, it was the first time I'd ever been in couples therapy. So I didn't really have, it was a new terrain. And the woman that we were working with was very blunt, like very, (laughs) she was in recovery from, um, I think alcohol, I don't know. She's like long-term sobriety, just like very no bullshit, which is exactly what we needed. Right. Mm. But I, I wanted to go to therapy to, to, to change both of our behavior, to change the relationship. Right. And as we started getting into therapy, my ex partner now it was like, not, not participating more or less. And he said something and she, she like, actively listened and and repeated it back. And she's like, Brie, do you, I see, I see what you are talking about when you say you're not being heard or something. He wasn't listening to you and that. And I was just like, whoa, like somebody validated that I'm not fucking crazy. <laughs> like, like, so my advice for people, if they're like, should mm. I go to couples therapy? Should I not? Is this worth working on? Is it not like, in couples therapy, you might find the strength to believe that you're not the one with all the mm. problems and therefore the strength to leave the relationship without that guilt. Mm. Because I know for me, because I was being gaslit in a lot of ways, it's like, I didn't know, I couldn't ever feel confident that I was making the right decision by leaving. Cause I always thought there was something more that I could do. And what my our couple therapist helped me see was like, there's nothing that you can do that is going to make him want to participate. And I was like, mm. Whoa, so this is not my responsibility. <laughs> so I offer that, um, because I feel like couples therapy is a win-win too. Either you, you see very clearly and have someone else reflect to you the type of relationship you're in, or it helps the relationship. Yeah, no, thanks for that, Brian. You know, I've been a couple of therapists for almost 10 years and I never really thought of that angle, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. explaining, you know, my truth, how I experienced the couple um, to them. And that is, is valuable because that's something I do, you know, like I try to, you know, and this is a, I guess, a technique. We will speak to one partner about the other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of exactly what your couple therapist did. Yeah. yeah, I can see where you're coming from. He's not listening to you. He's invalidating you, you know, whatever that is, yeah. right? You're, you're kind of speaking to both people, right? It's also yeah. for for him as well. Yeah. But um, yeah, you know, because I, I do that often in, in the corner of my eye for the partner who's being, who I'm speaking for, I can tell it's like, yeah, oh man, I'm so glad you're saying yeah. that and I make it even too. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's a good, I, I never even thought of that. So, you know, at the very least, someone else shared how they are experiencing your partner and the relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think 
the women that I work with tend to have been isolated in some capacity of thinking that they're the toxic one there is all their fault and they're trying to they're trying to figure everything out by themselves because there's some embarrassment and some shame around Mm -hmm. talking to friends or family when they don't really understand what's happening in the relationship or within themselves so to have someone else validate you and validate your experience especially if you've been being or if you have been gaslit where they're invalidating your experience and your reality it was like oh I can't even tell you how good it felt Mm. because I had been invalidated and dismissed for so long in my relationship to have her say that I was like it was like a breath of life back Mm. into me so the work you're doing whether you know it or not I'm I'm sure that you're affecting people more than you know and just being the mirror for them, being the the neutral third party that can help them understand what they're feeling inside, understand what their intuition is saying, and then make make the choice, you know, appropriate to that. Yeah, cool. Well, I like my job even more now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I had a, I had a question for you, Brie, if if you don't mind. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, feel free to pass. I know this is your podcast; so you can edit it out. Yeah. But how did you get your ex to therapy? <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't want me asking <laughs> well it was a struggle okay. um I had been I had been pushing for therapy for a long time and then there was some infidelity that came out and I was like this is it like I'm out or we go to couples therapy because you fucked up more or less it was that mm-hmm. it was the pain point um and at that time I was uh, I was so convinced that I was gonna be with him even though he had betrayed mm. me mm-hmm. and I was like so wrapped around his finger like I look back on it now and I'm just like wow I feel I have so much so much compassion for myself then um, mm. because I really was naive in so many ways around who he was and what was happening um, but it was it was that driver it was like I have proof you fucked up and now we have to go to therapy <laughs> so there was a little bit of like I'm in I'm in the power in this situation but therapy didn't um it didn't it didn't it wasn't a driver for him to change because he was never Mm going to change yeah yeah yeah. sure and then it sounds like the very least you got some clarity around that yes yeah yeah there's it stopped some of the confusion in my mind of like someone else being like this is not gonna work and you need Mm -hmm. you guys should take some space um it was the it was the first step in starting to to detach in that way from mm-hmm. it took a little bit longer than that afterwards but um as these relationships do to actually leave for good i went back one more time and tried again and then needed need a little more experience that it wasn't mm-hmm. going to work and then yeah. finally left but yeah i got yeah. it well and let me share too for couple therapy for your listeners is that there are three you know according to the modality i've been trained in and i agree with this there are three um what is it prerequisites preconditions to couples therapy working um number one if there's an active addiction it, it's not going to work yeah. <laughs> right yeah or i would even add to that in maybe kind of like early recovery because you know someone in early recovery can you know be very shame-based 
Mm. right? And any sort of feedback could trigger that toxic shame and then move them up into grandiosity, which is, oh my gosh, you're being so mean. In reality, yeah. no, your partner just wants to share the reality, work through some of the resentment. Um, and number two is if there's, you know, maybe kind of an undiagnosed uh, mental health condition, like severe depression or something like that. And number yeah. three is if there is an active affair and the partner doesn't want to end it. Um, yeah. So those are the three things. So I just want to throw it out there. So if your listeners are the other, your partner is experiencing in one of those things, you know, may have to work on that stuff first before it to be effective. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where knowing your boundaries around yeah. those things is important too. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I wish we had more time, but <laughs> we could keep talking forever. Um, I like to end these by pulling a Oracle card for the listeners. Cool. Have you ever worked with cards before? No, I haven't. Yeah. Okay. I want your partic- participation if you're willing. Of so, course. Okay. So just close your eyes for me. And I want you to think about maybe this episode or the listeners or some sort of some sort of energy to connect you with the deck. And whenever you feel like the shuffle's complete, just tell me when to stop. Okay, right now. Okay. So we got <laughs> blank stare, which this owl is. Can coming. I open my eyes now? Oh yeah, or... sorry. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> this this owl owl spirit's coming in hot for me recently, so this feels this feels good. I'm gonna read you read to the listeners what it is. Blink, blink, blank stare invites you to take a moment to pause. No need to react. Soak it in. Take time to process what is in front of you. Sometimes you're not sure how to respond. You need more time to think, to speak. Blank stare gives you permission to slow down. Be thoughtful with your words and actions so that they are in alignment with your desired expression, feelings, or values. The high pressure energy of your environment or those close to you may push you to speak or act before you are ready. It's okay to take your time, take a breath, gather yourself, shoot them a blank stare until you are ready to say what you say or do what you do. And for those of you who are not watching, it's a picture of an owl with a blank stare <laughs> with kind of big eyes, just like <laughs> taking the pause. Yeah. Nice. I love it. Yeah. It's resonant with what we talked about for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, what would you like to leave the listeners with Jason? Where can they find you? What do you have going on? Give us all the details. Yeah. Well, my podcast, Healthy Relationship Secrets for Parents. So if you are a parent, um, that may resonate. Also, coloradorelationshiprecovery.com is my therapy practice. And, you know, we're growing, able to take on more clients. So that would be a good place to start. Amazing. Okay, so I'll link to your website. I'll link to your podcast in the show notes below. Um, If this resonated for you, for those that are listening and you want to give us a five-star review, that is much appreciated, helps other people find the podcast. Um, Also follow the page and then you'll get notifications on when new episodes drop. And of course, share this with a friend who might be going through some relationship hardship or troubles or confusion and needs some, some guidance and advice around couples therapy, when to go, when to know it's over. Um, So much valuable information. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. This was uh, just an honor to be able to chat with you for today. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much. 
<laughs> okay until next time see you on the next episode